Welcome, everybody, to our new season of Hearsay, airing on CJSW. My name is Marcus Trendle. I'm joined today by Jacob Stuckin. Jake, how's it going? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm excited for the new season, season two, which we're taking on. A couple housekeeping items before we dive into today's episode. The first is that you'll hopefully be hearing a little bit of a different format on Hearsay this season. We're going to try to make our podcast a little less content heavy and a little bit more of a conversation. We don't want to obviously keep the informational value to it, but we don't want to shy away from opinions. The goal, the kind of place that we're trying to take this podcast is to create a platform for students here at the University of Calgary and members of the Calgary legal community to have interesting discussions that hopefully provide information and knowledge to the public about our legal system and about how that interacts with Canadians' everyday lives. So that all being said, if you have an idea for a show or you want to learn more about something, you can email us with those ideas. Our email is hearsay at ucalgary.ca. We monitor that account regularly and we don't get very many emails. So we would love to hear from you. Yes, please. Don't be a stranger. So today we're going to talk about judges in Canada, the members of our bench, Our judges are esteemed people. They're people that some of us will happily go through our lives and never interact with, for better or worse. But there are a lot of them out there, and they play an important role in our government and an important role in our society. We're hoping to not only talk about judges today. This is a bit of a theme that will crop up again and again this season. We're already arranging to have some judges on in subsequent episodes. Today, we want to do a bit of a backgrounder. So to start... I just want to run through the levels of court for everybody so that we know who these people are that we're talking about and where they're sitting. There are three levels of court in the province of Alberta, and this is pretty common across provinces. So the first level of court you have is the provincial court of Alberta, and at that court there are provincial court judges. This is where we hear simple criminal code offenses, typical what we call summary offenses, things like theft under 5,000, drunk driving, or simple assault. Provincial courts also have a family court division where they deal with parenting orders and child support payments and civil claims that are less than $50,000. The next level of court up from that is the Court of Queen's Bench in Alberta. This is where they deal deal with more serious criminal matters, things like aggravated assault, murder. Divorce proceedings happen in the Court of Queen's Bench family courts and larger civil claims occur in the civil divisions. And then above that, you have the Alberta Court of Appeal. And if you want to appeal a decision from one of the two lower courts, you go to the Alberta Court of Appeal. The final level above that is, of course, the Supreme Court of Canada. And they hear appeals from courts of appeal all across the country. Just for comparison, in Ontario, a very similar system. They have a provincial court, the Ontario Court of Justice, followed by their higher court, the Ontario Superior Court of Justice, which is similar to Alberta's Court of Queen's Bench. And then in Ontario, there's also a court of appeal. The first level of court in each province, those provincial level courts, so in Alberta, our provincial court, has provincially appointed judges. So it's the job of the provincial government to appoint judges to that court and to sit on that bench. The other two levels, the Court of Queen's Bench of Alberta and the Court of Appeal for Alberta, is a federal court. There are typically two federal courts in every province. We also have the tax courts as well as a federal court and a federal court of appeal. So between all of this in Canada, we have 1,216 federally appointed judges. So about 1,200 judges who are appointed by the federal government to be judges. And if you get to be a judge, it's a pretty good gig. 
You have to have been a lawyer for 10 years before you can apply. But once you get appointed to the bench, you are more or less there for life. You make about $300,000 a year. And the only caveat is that you can only be a judge. You can't have another side job. It's the only thing that you can do. So if I wanted to be a judge, Jacob, how might I do that? Well, Marcus, there's a bit of a process. And this process has undergone some changes um, in the past little while. Um, But for these federal appointments, as you alluded to, that would be your provincial superior courts, uh, the federal court and the tax court. You first go through a nonpartisan advisory committee. And at this advisory committee, you get a recommendation. And this recommendation could have you be qualified or highly qualified. And once you have this recommendation, then the justice minister then does their own vetting and passes their vetting on to the prime minister's office. And the minister's recommendation after all of that consideration goes to the federal cabinet for a vote. And assuming that vote is in favor, you have your latest federal judicial appointment. And it's important to note that it hasn't always been this way. Uh, we've only had these nonpartisan committees since about 1988. And more recently, about three years ago, the Liberal government restored the highly qualified category. And the idea being that um, there's a bit more segregation between the levels of recommendation, but there's also a chance with every new government to introduce some tweaks to the appointment system that we can get into a little bit later on. Yeah, so I want to pick up on this qualification process. I'm either qualified or I'm highly qualified. And then presumably there's also an option if like I applied because I'm not qualified at all. <laughs> exactly. There's, you know, there's probably like a, a you know, a shred pile somewhere <laughs> um, uh, because, because it is, you know, welcome to Canada. It is an open application process as long as you meet those requirements you said. And a bit of a quirk is that uh, we don't actually know who's got the qualified recommendation or the highly qualified recommendation. So the recommendations from the nonpartisan committee are kept private. Indeed, indeed. They are kept private. And the other part of it, too, is that um, we certainly know the members of uh, of the advisory committees but we don't know really much else in the way of the appointment process um, besides what uh, becomes public one way or another. So it's not necessarily that somebody was in that shred pile, uh, but rather maybe they didn't make the cabinet vote or they didn't pass vetting with the justice minister and the prime minister's office. It's a bit of a black box once we get past the original advisory committee uh, process. However, as we'll talk about later on, every one of these judicial applicants fills out a questionnaire, and this questionnaire is actually made public, uh, for the most part, made public if they are appointed to the bench. Uh, So that is one way, sort of retroactively, we can find out what the application looked like for these new judicial appointments. Cool. And I want to bounce over now and talk a little bit about the nonpartisan advisory committees. These are called judicial advisory committees. They have seven people on them. The way their appointments work is that, say, the member from the Law Society of Alberta, the Law Society of Alberta puts forward three names, and then the government gets to pick which of those three people will sit on the judicial advisory committees. So as much as it is a nonpartisan committee, 
there's still an opportunity to sort of stack the committees with people who may be sympathetic to the wishes of the government. And as Jacob, you started talking about there, everybody is ultimately vetted through the prime minister's office and through cabinet, giving a quite heavy partisan slant to this whole process. Mm -hmm. Moving into the overall process and the political sensibility, uh, the, the political nature of these applications, um, it's probably not too much of a surprise that uh, the Liberal government has been focusing more on uh, people from a minority background, LGBTQ justices, uh, judicial appointments rather, um, as well as women. And as part of this new questionnaire that they've been asking folks about, um, we have um, a judicial appointment to the Tax Court of Canada who spoke about her uh, life experience as the first Canadian-born child of Chinese immigrants. Um, we have another judicial appointment to the BC Supreme Court talking about being a working mother, as well as an overall application, or sorry, overall report from the government that talks about the background of applicants and appointees. So, for example, the government appointed three Indigenous individuals, seven visible minorities, 11 ethnic minorities, two disabled people, and six people who define themselves as LGBTQ. And like I mentioned earlier, you can go and actually read their questionnaires that give you a bit more of an insight into how they might be appointed. And I think it's very important to note that it's always going to be, to some degree, a political process, but uh, there's always a way to tailor your application because you know who the government of the time is and it is an executive branch appointment that's interesting and it is certainly unquestionably a positive thing that we're getting a more diverse bench it's certainly always been a diverse group of people appearing in courtrooms so it's great to see that we have a government i guess that's taking it in a direction of trying to build the diversity of the bench out <laughs> I want to provide a bit of background for the discussion that you're about to hear. It's an interview that I did, again, with a man named Sean Fine. He's been a court reporter for a number of years and works with the Globe and Mail and has done quite a bit of work over the past decade plus looking at the judicial appointment process and how partisan influence has affected it. A recent story that he's been working on, which you'll hear us discuss, and I think provides some good context for this conversation, is what went on in New Brunswick earlier this year. So in the first half of 2019, there were six federal appointments to federal courts in New Brunswick. Five of those appointees had pretty direct connections to federal cabinet minister Dominic LeBlanc, who is a duly elected member of parliament for the riding of Beausager in his own right. These five appointments included Mr. LeBlanc's neighbor, his wife's brother's wife, and three individuals who had previously donated to Mr. LeBlanc's campaign. I think on the surface, this sounds a bit worse than it maybe is in practice. And I think the bigger flag that came out of this story is the liberal government's use of a database called Liberalist to, to vet their candidates. So the Liberal Party of Canada, like all other political parties, keeps a database of all the people who've ever donated to their party or taken a lawn sign for their party. That database is called Liberalist. 
And the government has been running the names of all potential federal judges through this database to see what their history of contributions and support of the Liberal Party is. Now, that's not to say that it's necessarily informed their decisions. That is certainly not to say that everybody that this government has appointed to federal judge positions is a former donor of the Liberal Party. That's absolutely not the case. But it feels kind of gross. I think a lot of people would just kind of naturally react to that in a negative way and think that regardless of what the outcome is, we're getting a more diverse slate of judges. That's a great thing. This isn't to say that people who have recently been appointed to the bench aren't qualified, but the fact that the government is looking at their partisan history and affiliation, it I, I don't know. I don't like it. <laughs> I think that it's difficult to deal with it's more difficult to deal with because we just don't know this could be these could be positive appointments these could be less than ideal appointments but we just don't really know besides oh yeah he or she donated to the liberal party and took a uh, took a nice wooden lawn sign you know it's it's a little bit tough to dig deeper when we just don't know how much weight that aspect was given in the vetting process. And we don't know how other governments have done it in the past with vetting uh, in terms of internal uh, party databases and how governments will do it in the future. You know, certainly we have an election coming up. I don't see this being a, a real turning point, but... I don't think so. <laughs> no, I, but nonetheless, I think that irrespective of your level of government, it's important to understand that their reach extends across every single province. Awesome. So with that thought on the importance of transparency in this process, we're going to throw to an interview with Sean Fine, who has spent a good deal of his life working for that kind of transparency and investigating these important issues. Here's my interview with Sean. So uh, and how, how long is it, Sean, that you've been kind of covering Canadian courts and judicial appointments? Well, I did the, what we call the legal beat at the Globe in the early 90s, and then I left the beat. Uh, I was on the, on the editorial board for a while, and in that role, I covered, you know, I wrote about the courts, the Supreme Court, and legal stuff, uh, and then I came back to the beat five or six years ago, and I've done a fair bit on judicial appointments in that period. And so as, I guess, kind of your time on that beat, what have you seen kind of evolution in the court system um, or alternatively in the way judges are appointed? Have you felt that you've, you've watched that develop? Yeah, it swings back and forth. Different governments have different ways of doing things. Uh, you know, when I started, there, there were no um, uh, nomination hearings for Supreme Court judges in Parliament. And uh, in fact, the first such hearing was uh, created by Erwin Kotler, a liberal justice minister, but he did not have the, the nominee come before parliament. He sat there himself and explained why he chose as he did. In that case, it was, uh, it was Rosie Abella, and he sat there himself and explained it, which I wrote at the time for the editorial board was a bit like sending your mother to your job interview. <laughs> So uh, then it was uh, Stephen Harper who who uh, first uh, who created the first uh, nomination hearing with the actual judge sitting there it was Marshall Rothstein. 
and, and later he canceled his own hearing, for reasons I can explain later. But in, in any event, we've the system has sort of ebbed and flowed over the years, lots of changes, moving, I guess, in the general direction of transparency, but a lot of the system goes on behind closed doors. And yeah, when you talk about kind of that ebb and flow, is there anything that you, I guess, kind of think of as an ebb or times where you were like, well, that's a bit of a regressive step backward? Um, I don't really want to give my opinion on what's regressive or not since I'm a news reporter. But uh, one of the things that happened was um, uh, Stephen Harper, as I said, created the uh, nomination hearings. But then there was this... uh, very big controversy over his appointment of Justice Marc Nadon. Okay, this was a very illuminating episode in uh, appointments. Um, Stephen Harper was not happy with the Supreme Court as it was. Uh, A lot of big decisions were going against him. For instance, in 2011, there was the, they call it PHS. Most people know it as Insight. That was the um, supervised injection site in Vancouver. Um, that was dealing with a lot of addicts, allowing them to shoot up their drugs legally. It wasn't giving them drugs, but it, there were nurses there to save their lives if if they had uh, an overdose. So his government didn't like that. There's always a long story when you get into law. There are always very human stories behind this, but I'll try to cut to the chase. So his government did not, <clears throat> did not like the operation of Insight. They wanted to be tough, seen as tough on, on drugs, tough on crime. They tried to shut down Insight, and um, the Supreme Court said by a count of nine to nothing, you cannot shut, shut this down because you would, in, in effect, be killing people, and governments cannot kill people. That's against the Charter. He was very disappointed in that ruling. He had appointed most of the judges at that point who were on the Supreme Court. So um, he, he was very concerned about appointing judges who would look at the world through a, a more conservative lens, let's say. Um, and uh, he was he had to appoint a Quebec judge, um, and um, he came up with Justice Marc Nadon. Uh, Justice Nadon, however, was on the Federal Court of Appeal. There had never been a federal court judge appointed to the Supreme Court uh, for a Quebec position, so there were some legal questions around it. Um, and in the end, it was challenged. The appointment was challenged, and uh, Justice Nadon was ruled not legally qualified. And um, after that, uh, Mr. Harper canceled the appointment, the, the nomination hearings that he had created himself. He then appointed three, the, the final three judges of his uh, term were appointed without any kind of hearing. He also can- canceled the parliamentary involvement in the process. We made quite dramatic changes toward less, um, t- toward more centralization and less transparency. Uh, the Liberal government has since undone those changes. Anyway, that was an ebb. I guess that was a question. That was an ebb in the process. Absolutely. That makes sense. And uh, almost a funny ebb in that it was uh, working back against the flow that uh, Prime Minister Harper himself had put in place at the time. So then, yeah. I think, can... he, I think he felt that he could control that process. Interesting. And has that been... I mean, I guess we've kind of set up a system here where the executive branch of Canada in some way feels that it has some degree of a right, perhaps, to be the ones guiding the process on judicial appointments and ultimately having some degree of control over what the outcome of that process is. Yes, that's part of our system, and they do have that right. 
Um, the question has become, though, how much transparency should there be? And then what is the role of, uh, and then how is it done? And is it being done to give us the best possible uh, judiciary and the most diverse possible? Um, so, um, yes, the executive has the right, but what are the parameters uh, in terms of how they exercise that, that right and that, that authority? Good. And I think your mention of diversity there might provide a bit of a good link over to the current system, the system that's been set up uh, under Justin Trudeau's government. Can you talk a bit about some of the work that you've done on that recently? I know we found out that a, a liberal list, which is basically a partisan database, was being used to help vet some of the judicial appointments. Is this the type of thing that maybe has always gone on and we're just seeing it go on now because the process has become more transparent? Or is this kind of new, unbroken partisan ground that we're seeing in the judicial appointment process? Uh, no, there's always been partisanship of varying kinds in the process. Um, uh, now, Brian Mulroney changed the system. It was extremely closed back in the 80s. Uh, it was very much an old boys network. He changed the system to create an independent committee that would screen judges. Um, uh, so that that was an improvement in the process back in the late 80s, uh, but there was still a lot of uh, partisanship in terms of who got on the court, so that uh, the bench was seen to some extent, particularly on the lower federally appointed levels, uh, lower superior court, uh, say the trial court level, as um, you know, the the governing party would look at who has done us favors, who has contributed to the party, who has worked for the party in some capacity. Um, and so there have been academic studies on this, and they have found that a certain percentage, again, ebbing and flowing, has of the appointees have had party affiliation, sometimes higher, sometimes lower, but as high as 50% often. Um, my work on the Harper Conservatives tended to show that um, they weren't partisan in that sense. They were very explicit about wanting to change the judiciary's attitudes, wanting to have a more conservative approach to the charter and to um, um, lawmaking generally. And also, uh, Stephen Harper said in Parliament that he wanted to pick judges who would be tough on crime. So we had never heard that before. But that's not partisan in the party sense, I suppose. I mean, it's you know, it's all a matter of definition. As the governing party, they had a perfect right to say, we want to select a certain kind of judge. And, um, of course, you don't always get what, you, what, you, what you're after. It doesn't work that way with judges that are independent. And there are many, many, many cases of judges who surprise the people who appointed them. In any event, uh, I did not find uh, that he set out to just appoint people who had done work for the party, but he wanted to make sure that he wasn't appointing left-wing judges. And if he could find right-of-center judges, um, all the better. Uh, this was his cabinet working through the political ministers in each province, you know, the regional ministers who appointments would go through. Um, so, again, it's a different kind of party politics. What are kind of the impacts that you think partisan influence might have on our system? Why is this something that you think it's important for Canadians to care about? 
Well, one is um, if if the public were to decide that that uh, judges were representing one party or another, uh, the public would lose a lot of confidence in our system. And so it's important to get at what is going on. And um, there's no sense having blind faith in a system. We need to know how the system works. We also want a quality bench. I was very interested in it from a charter perspective. You know, we had the charter come in in 1982. It went in a certain direction. And we, we entered into a period of a rights culture where rights that, uh, you know, groups obtain new rights. And, you know, I think it really helped our society devo- develop into certain, in certain ways. And, you know, now we have assisted dying. We have gay marriage. We have all sorts of things that we didn't have before. And and there were people who did not like all of this stuff, and uh, you know that. And and so the relationship between Parliament and the courts, between the executive and the courts, was very interesting to me as well. And so uh, in the Harper era, as I said, he tried to change the way the judiciary worked because his government, which was democratically elected, wasn't entirely happy with the direction of society. And I very much enjoyed watching how those different branches. Of government work together, or or not, um, I, you know. I think that's vital information for the public to have. Thank you very much for your time today. Appreciate you coming on the show. Okay, great. Thank you very much for having me. All right. So thank you to Sean uh, for giving us that interview. Just to break it down a little bit and talk about some of the issues that have come up here. I think the first thing I'd like to put forward, and I was trying to get at this with one of my later questions to Sean about the effect that partisanship can actually have on our system. And something positive I think that exists in all this is that by and large, we have good judges in Canada. We have a pretty strong bench. As someone myself who's had the opportunity to be in a courtroom quite a bit, the judges certainly in Calgary are by and large people with a lot of compassion who approach their job seriously and with a lot of care and who work hard and collaboratively to make our system better and address a lot of the issues in it. So partisanship and the appointment process aside, the result so far has been pretty good. It has at least been functional. Certainly there are issues. I think the overrepresentation of indigenous populations in our criminal justice system is certainly one of them. But I would note to that that a number of the judges here in Calgary have been working very hard to set up an indigenous court at the provincial court level in Calgary just recently. Over the past month, this has started. So it's an example of how we have people on the bench who do care and who are applying themselves to do this important work. That all being said, could we get to an even better place with a less partisan system of appointments? And what might that system look like? I think these are still important conversations to have and still things that we should be talking about because there's clearly a history of partisanship infused in our judicial appointment system. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to understand that to some extent, there's only so much we can know about the appointment system. And there's only so much we can understand about somebody's judicial philosophy. Uh, for example, if you read up about uh, Justice Kazara's um, hearing there for the Supreme Court, you'll understand that there's a lot of times where he just said, I, 
I don't think I can answer that question, or um, that's not for me to say. And I think that sometimes our pursuit of information leads us into some directions where we don't end up getting the information we thought we were going to get. And so there might need to be other ways besides simply making the process more public that allow for a better judicial appointment process. And once it becomes public, does it become less partisan? I think, you know, public accountability is something that we've seen work before and that might be an answer to some of these questions or even a natural check on the process is that, is that you know, when there is misconduct by judges, there is a system for removing them from the bench. And if there's enough public outcry, we have examples in recent history where that has happened. And maybe that's to some extent almost a bigger check on the issue of partisanship than any form of transparency is going to be. Mm-hmm. And when you have these judicial appointments that last, uh, generally speaking, last until you are 75, it, I think it seems like to a layperson that, my goodness, they're going to be there for quite some time. But I would, I think there can be more work done to encourage a positive view of these judicial appointments and a more understanding view of just what judges do and how they use their position for good. Thank you for listening. Hearsay is a project from the Calgary chapter of Pro Bono Students Canada. This episode was created by Jacob Stuckin and me, Marcus Trendle, at CJSW Studios at the University of Calgary on Treaty 7 land. You can listen to this show on Spotify, Apple Music, or Google Play, and then you can email us about it, hearsay at ucalgary.ca. You can also apply to be a member of a nonpartisan judicial advisory committee. Find the Judicial Advisory Committee General Public Representative Application Form online and apply to be a member of the group that helps decide who the judges will be in your region.